Welcome to Property Unpacked, a new podcast by Domain. I'm Alice Stoltz. Each episode, we'll be talking to experts and hearing stories about people's property experiences. We'll unpack what's happening and how it affects you so you can be informed and make the right decision. Let's jump into it. This uh, initiative we're announcing today, it's temporary, it's targeted. I'd say to all Australians out there, if you've been thinking about buying a new home, renovating your own home, now is the time to do it. It might sound like money for nothing. $25,000 gift from Scott Morrison to do up your house or build a new one. It has come to the rescue of the tradies and the builders. And that means jobs, not just for tradies and apprentices, but all of the other industries that feed into the home building industry. The Home Builder Program, announced on June 4, is aimed at boosting the flagging residential construction industry. It's some much welcome news for those looking to build or renovate who are eligible for the $25,000 government grant. But Scott Morrison's tradie-led recovery has received some criticism from politicians and media commentators who have pointed to the program's small window of eligibility as being problematic. Later on in the episode, we're going to look at something on lots of people's minds at the moment, money, and explore some tips for minimising household costs. We'll also speak to a real estate agent about the impact of the home builder announcement has had on inquiries from buyers. But first up, we have Kristen Brookfield from the Housing Industry Association, who's here to walk us through some of the details of the home builder program and explain just who will benefit. Kristen, thank you so much for joining me. It's been obviously been a big week in your space with the announcement of the Home Builder Program. Thanks, Alice. It's lovely to be here. And yes, it has been a very busy week and also a very interesting week to see what the government put forward. How much of a surprise was it when the government announced the new package? Well, I guess you would have seen that there was probably about two or three weeks of feverish media activity around the need for a stimulus. Mm. So in that sense, it certainly wasn't a surprise that the government moved to do something. And HIA was was obviously part of that conversation. We were foreshadowing that because of COVID, the expected number of homes we would build in the 2020-21 year was significantly going to reduce. So we were saying to government, there is, there is an issue that needs to be addressed. Mm. In terms of the ultimate detail of the package, we were like everybody else. We were finding that out as it was announced and that was something we had to get our heads around and understand in the same way as listeners would have. So, Kristen, if we just take a little step back then, how has the residential construction industry been affected by coronavirus and how big is the downturn that you have been expecting So there's two parts to this. The first bit was to recognise that 2017-18 was our best year ever. So Mm. the industry was coming off um, a significant high point, which is around about 230,000 homes that that year. And we were tracking back down towards kind of long-term average, building around 170,000 houses. That's 50,000 houses that had dropped off the radar to sort of normal levels. Mm -hmm. But COVID saw us pull those numbers all the way down to 111,000 homes. Wow. Can we just go through what the details of the scheme are, please, Kristen, if you can just take us through a broad brushstroke level of what it does entail? So you've got two parts. You've got an incentive, Mm $25,000. Households where either a single person who earns up to $125,000 a year or a couple earning up to $200,000 a year would be the eligible customers. Mm -hmm. And they can either proceed to build a new home, so enter into a 
contract from last week, the 4th of June, and build that new home sometime in the next nine months. There are some, we'll come back around, there's some, some time frames in there. Or they might be looking at doing a major renovation. So if you're doing renovation work over $150,000 worth of work, then you would also have the opportunity to be eligible and access the grant. And the caveat on that one, though, is that the house cannot be more than $1.5 million in current value. Is that correct? That's right, yeah. Okay. And so, Kristen, how content are you on what has been offered? You know, is that is it kind of enough? Is it, is it you know, if we're trying to get that stimulus and, and that confidence also out there, how happy are you with that? No incentive package is perfect for everybody. So this hits a few points. This incentive is about new building, not just focused on first home. So that's important. Mm -hmm. And then it's also important that it addresses that renovation potential because it's a massive part of the industry. Most renovation builders are renovation builders. That's all they do. Mm -hmm. They don't tend to move sideways and build a new house. And in reverse, companies that build new houses don't do renovations. Mm. So they're discrete parts of the market. So in that sense, we were happy that the program is supporting more than one part of the industry, but there are other parts of the industry that may not see the benefits of this. We're still waiting for some of the final details to come through Mm. from the federal government agreement, which would help us to understand whether there are any gaps. Okay. I I would agree with you on that. I think for consumers to have the option of building a new home or renovating an existing property, particularly for first home buyers, and that is what is, I think, really appropriate about this scheme. I'm quite Mm. encouraged that I think in a lot of cities in particular, um, the, the the challenge of building a new home might not be present or, you know, or there may be more established properties in that market. You know, I mean, Australia is such a mm. large property market that it's hard to be all things to all people and to all states and territories. So I, I think mm. um, I think you're right. I think it was quite a good balance that was met with a two-pronged approach of, of who they were feeding here in that regard. And also the other thing is the upside of renovating has always been you don't pay stamp duty. Correct. <laughs> Now, on that note, you know, people furrow their brows deeply when you talk about how long does a renovation take from beginning to end when you engage a designer or or a draftsman, etc. How realistic do you think they are, Kristen, in terms of the dates the government has set with this? If somebody is beginning that process today, then it's tight. You, Mm. You can't say it's not tight. Their first deadline is that 31 December deadline. So they need to have all their designs done, get themselves sorted and and into a contract by 31 December Mm. to be eligible. If they can do all that, and builders are going to bend over backwards to assist. Well, I was going to say, and I think a lot of a lot of people are motivated by that hard deadline potentially. I mean, I, I agree it's That's an aggressive right. deadline, but it's not impossible. It's not beyond the realm. No, no. Um, Council approvals, we you know, you hear about all the time. Yes, it's an issue. A renovation which takes you up is more likely to be caught with the planning approval part of the equation. A renovation which just takes you out on changes around what you have at a ground floor level has the option in several states to only need building approval. I have heard anecdotally about a lot of councils actually are doing approvals a lot more rapidly during COVID. I think that they were sort of keen to keep pushing things through that pipeline and and not, not as much sort of paper pushing around as what some people may have experienced. Kristen, what about with bank loan approvals? How sort of concerned are you about that side of things? Okay, that is the other key. We know from member feedback over the last three months that finance approvals are taking longer. 
after the Royal Commission, the banks have been making changes. So there are some adjustments in the stringency and the the approach banks are taking to asking customers around their uh, capacity to pay, etc. That's the kind of change that is... I guess, here to stay, mm. um, but it's still something that the industry and that homeowners are coming to grips with. The other part, though, is the COVID impact, and COVID has certainly had an impact on the paperwork and the administration of across all the lending bodies. What was traditionally a 7- to 10-day turnaround for mortgage documents, we're hearing reports of up to five weeks. Wow, that's an incredible lengthening. Yes. So when you say that's something that happens after you have signed a contract, you need your contract to be able to give it to your bank to get the full approval. So uh, this finance is one of those things that needs to be resolved in the three-month window of the scheme rather than the before-you-sign six-month window. Mm. And we're concerned. Yeah, we, mm. we think there might be some people who could be unduly caught with that. So it, it is important to get moving again sooner rather than later. Um, and we'd like to hope the banks are on board in terms of moving the paperwork along. Mm. Kristen, just finally, how confident are you that the program will achieve what it was designed to do? Yeah, so we're optimistic that it will certainly stabilise customers that were stalling and just contemplating whether they would move now have that confidence come back. So we think it'll achieve that. We think it will certainly um, support activity in the second half of this year. So yeah, we're, we're very optimistic that it can have an impact. And who knows what else may come out from the government in the months and next sort of year ahead potentially. Yeah, look, this is a long journey. Um, As we all know, we're not out of the woods in terms of our COVID restrictions yet. So Mm. we're not back to our new normal. We don't know what's happening with international travel. We don't know what's happening with those overseas students. We don't know what's happening with general migration. They're all big factors that come into play with a 2021 story around housing. Mm. And and even beyond 2021, particularly around that migration piece. Yeah. Kristen, that was so great talking to you. I'd love to have you back on the show when, if we hear more updates or to check in how it's going in, in the weeks and months ahead. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having us, Alice. It's great to talk. As we've just heard, builders are set to have a busy few months as demand for their services increases thanks to the Home Builder Stimulus Package. But real estate agents are also seeing an increase in calls from buyers, wanting to understand how they can take advantage of the grant when it comes to buying property. Here to share a little bit about what he has seen over the last week is Ray White's Managing Director of Projects, Eddie Mansell. Eddie, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Alice, for having me. I'm really interested, Eddie, on what reaction you've seen from prospective buyers who are now ready to buy new homes since the Home Builder grant was announced by the government. We've been quite excited with the response from buyers. We're a projects business that's that's Australia-wide, and, and certainly we've seen a number of different states uh, have a great response from the buyers on, on this new grant. And is it fair to say it might have pushed certain buyer categories, potentially first-home buyers, who may have been waiting, sitting on the fence? Has it now sort of pushed some of them into that buy now, let's go cash agree? I believe so, uh, especially on the house and land packages. Uh, you know, it's it's $25,000 is, is still $25,000 more that they 
had this time last week in terms of the ability to access. Mm. Now, my, my gut feeling is it's going to be very appealing to first-home buyers, and then the more I sort of thought about it, will it also appeal to downsizers or retirees as well, do you think, when it comes to new projects? I think that will be state-specific uh, or even project-specific in terms of where the location is in the area as such. We're fortunate with a few of our projects that we've got some apartments uh, where the building contracts are about to be signed. And so some of the uh, people who will be applying for home build will be able to access it on apartments, which in Sydney gives them a good opportunity to buy into a Sydney project with a minimal deposit. And I think that's a good story, certainly for, for first-home buyers in particular. Downsizers, I think, will still be slightly concerned about uh, what their house is worth or when to go to the market. And I think that's where it will be, I think, a hurdle for them. Mm. How much of a challenge is the package in cities like Sydney and Melbourne with a $750,000 price cap, which obviously in some parts of Australia is is ample and it's a lot of money, whichever way you look at it, but we obviously know, particularly in Sydney, that price cap could be a challenge. How much of an obstacle do you see that being? It's a great question. Uh, I, I agree with Melbourne, uh, probably less of a challenge in Sydney itself. Uh, on house and land, it uh, certainly will be a challenge. There is some product out towards the Northwest District um, and into the Southwest that may accommodate it on smaller block sizes. In terms of apartments, this will find apartments around the south of Sydney, uh, southwest and into the Western Sydney area, which is certainly an emerging market and continues to be quite popular. But uh, I think there is still a lot of opportunity out there with, with stock at, at around the 750 mark. Eddie, is there a further challenge around the time frame in that applicants need to sign a building contract by December 31 and then construction, the knock-on effect, has to start within three months of that signing date? Is that going to be very tough and constrictive for some people? You know, there are, there are a couple of things that have crossed my mind with, with, with this whole grant. I mean, um, yes, it, it is restrictive, so it's going to be interesting to see how that's handled, um, especially with some of the bigger home builders in terms of getting construction moved and what, what's defined as commencement of construction. Um, mm. it's, a, it's a bit of a grey area at the moment. The other thing that I've sort of been considering is how a bank's going to treat the $25,000. I've read through some of the government fact sheets that talks about banks applying, not the actual applicant as such. Um, so okay. So I've been sort of questioning that. Mm. And then from a finance perspective, I sat down the other day and worked out on a $500,000 purchase. Uh, if you use the first-home buyer scheme and the home builder scheme, then um, you potentially don't have to put a deposit in. Yeah, wow. <laughs> you may not have to put any money towards it. And I guess how do the banks feel about that? Will they mm. take that into consideration approving the loan? So there's, there's a few question marks there. And, you know, I, I guess uh, any any sort of grant um, or, or scheme for, for to help sort of people purchase their first home is great. Mm. Uh, it's a matter of, you know, what can we do to really get get uh, get buyers moving along and get them into into property? Yep, and those buyers need to be able to squeeze every bit of juice out of out of this situation, don't they? Because I think particularly first home buyers and all the help they can get at the moment. Eddie, thank you so much for joining me today. That was really interesting to unpick all this with you, and um, yeah, I look forward to chatting with you again soon. Thanks, Alice. As the economic fallout from the coronavirus pandemic goes on and people continue to spend more and more time in their homes, now is a great time to reflect on your household spending habits and perhaps look at ways you can save a little money. With me today is Domain's Money and Advice Editor, Dan Butkovich, to share some suggestions on ways we can all be smarter with our money. Dan, thanks for joining me. 
No worries. One of the more important things to think about at the moment is obviously tax time. And I know we're coming to the end of the financial year, but what are ways we can be more thrifty and perhaps clever with tax? One of the big ones right now is um, a lot of people are working from home. And obviously when you're working from home, you, you, you incur various costs, um, whether it's you know setting up your workspace or, or, or whatever it may be. The ATO has basically simplified that recently, made it very easy to claim a, an 80 cent per hour rate, and it just simplifies the whole process. So, so it makes it really simple to, to get those deductions with your tax. What other things can we do? Look, I mean, we, we talked about tax, but there's another thing that we often refer to as the lazy tax. That's basically when you're, um, <laughs> you're, you're paying the, the same rate on your various you know utilities or insurance or your phone plan as you were paying last year, or, or in fact, sometimes even more if it goes up in little increments. And if you don't really do anything about that, if you don't renegotiate or if you don't shop around, you'll just end up paying that cost ongoing, whereas often there's a lot of better deals out there in the marketplace and, and often better deals that, that suit your circumstances. I feel like you're pointing a finger directly at me on that topic. <laughs> Can you explain how do I tackle that? What do I have to do? Okay, so it really depends on, on, on what we're talking about here. So if it's you know your utilities or your insurance, if you've just been with the same company for a long time, you've just automatically renewed it. The first step to do is give them a call and see if they can give you a better deal. Often it's, it's literally just a matter of saying, hey, I've been with you guys for a couple of years. I just want to see if I can get a better rate. If you don't get any, anywhere with that, it's about shopping around and just comparing the different options that are out there. But if we talk about something like your phone plan, a lot of people would have been using a lot more data previously. Um, with yeah. a lot of pe- more people staying at home, um, you might be using more internet data on, on your home broadband rather than your mobile broadband. So there might be some savings there if, if you switch plans or, or, or go with like a month to month rather than lock in for 24 months or whatever it may be. Mm. And I know in the past you've also mentioned streaming subscriptions and I'm guilty as charged. I, I was going through my credit card statement. I was paying on subscriptions I didn't even know that I had, which is just appallingly embarrassing. So I think it's the important thing when you sign up to things to make sure that you cancel them if you don't want to continue with them or just you have to track them to keep an eye on it all, don't you? Yeah, that's right. I mean, a lot of people, I mean, these days, it's sort of relatively normal to have, you know, five streaming subscriptions in in one household. And, you know, it's maybe about thinking, do you need to have them all at once? Because the great thing about those is you can sort of cancel them and and, and take them up again as you need them. So Mm. so there's, there's savings there. So what about when it comes to mortgages? What can we do when it comes to that massive payment that's the biggest cost that most of us have in Australia? Yeah, so, so if you're a homeowner, chances are you've got a mortgage um, and, and chances are attached to that mortgage is, is something called an offset account. If you don't understand what that feature does, but basically what it does is any money in that offset account um, reduces the amount of interest payable on the loan by that amount. It works out basically the same as, as paying extra off your home loan. The only difference is you have access to that money if you need to spend it, whether it's to buy a car or whatever it may be. It's about understanding how your mortgage works and, and using the, the options that, that come with it. And, and of course, the other big one with mortgages is refinancing. A lot of people have been paying the same mm. rate for, for some time. Um, rates are exceptionally low right now, so, so it's a really good time to uh, have a look and what, what, see what kind of deal you can get on your home loan. It really should be like we go to the doctor for you know once a year for a, for a health checkup. We really should be doing the same when it comes to our finances, shouldn't we? Yeah, and considering how, how quickly things have sort of moved recently, I mean, we've had five interest rate cuts in the past 12 months or so. If you're still paying yesterday's rate, you, you really have to be proactive about it. 
And I think also I'd encourage people to sort of plug those numbers into a spreadsheet, look at the savings potential that you can secure by doing things like that. As difficult a task it can feel at times to have to call up banks and renegotiate, but it really can have a profound impact on what you save each month and over the course of the year, can't it? That's right. A few minutes spent on the phone can actually save you know hundreds of dollars over the course of the year. Okay, we've talked a lot about how to sort of save money, but what about making extra money? Have you got anything up your sleeve on that one? Yeah, look, I, I love this one. So there's ways to kind of make extra money on the side. So, mm. I mean, the, the, the classic one is decluttering and selling stuff online. It's so simple and easy these days. Most people have, you know, thousands of dollars worth of stuff around the house. They can basically just list online and find a buyer for quite quickly. And that's just cash in your hand. It's such an easy way to do it. Mm. The other one is, you know, if you've got a hobby, um, which most people do, there may be a way to kind of turn that into an income stream and have that, you know, generating some money on the side for you. There's things like Airtasker, Facebook, Gumtree, all these kinds of places where you can, you know, advertise these sort of services or or your hobby that that, that you you might be able to monetize. And I think also, Dan, with one thing after COVID, that sort of hangover of how wonderful communities have been during during this pandemic. And I think if any time to sort of, you know, exploit and try to put a bit of revenue into that hobby, it could be now, knowing that probably local community neighbours will probably be quite willing and keen to support it and get something local as well. Yeah, that's exactly right. And lastly today, what's your last suggestion for us then, Dan? Okay, so I'm a homeowner and I I basically love uh, doing DIY around the house. It's a way to kind of improve your property and save you a bit of money as well. You'll save hundreds not having to pay a tradesman to come and do it. Mm. Um, There's obviously some exceptions. You're not going to do your own electrical or plumbing, but if it's things like, you know, painting a wall, fixing a bit of timber here, you may think you don't know how to do these kind of things, but if you actually just give it a go, look up some tutorials online, just just Google it, put it into YouTube, you'll be amazed at what you can actually accomplish um, yourself on your property. And there is actually something so lovely and satisfying about that, whether it's sort of toiling soil to sort of plant vegetables or a new, you know, bit of Boston Ivy or something in the case that I did on the weekend, or else learning a new skill. I think there's something really beautiful and almost dare I say, mindful about doing those sort of home improvements yourself and really, really satisfying. And again, another thing I think we will keep from COVID is that idea that we did sort of turn a lot more inward and try to sort of get back to basics in many ways. And I think that's a really great example of that, the idea of doing it yourself whenever and wherever you can. Yeah. And those things that you mentioned, you know, growing a veggie patch, for example, that can actually save you money as well. And nothing tastes better than your own homegrown tomato. That's exactly right. Uh, Dan, thank you so much. That was so useful and insightful. And I think we'll get you on again to talk about all the things we can do with that extra money that we're hopefully now all going to save. So thank you. No worries. Thank you. Before I go, I wanted to share a little bit about why we've decided to create this podcast. We know that property can be complex, baffling and confusing at times. That's why we want to unpack the issues that matter without the jargon so you can understand how they might affect you now and in the future. If there's a topic you'd like us to cover or a question you want answered, let us know. You can send us an email at propertyunpacked at domain.com.au. Talk to you next week. You've been listening to Property Unpacked, a podcast by Domain. If you like what you've heard, hit subscribe and look out for further episodes dropping every Thursday. Property Unpacked is hosted by me, Alice Stoltz. This episode was produced by Alexandra Spangaro, Stephen Claxton, with production support from Hayley Coolis. Artwork by Rabia Ahmed. Audience development support from Karina Guy. Our executive producers are Jen Young and Jason Chuck. For more property news, advice and market insights, head to domain.com.au.